the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, this morning is actually Palm Sunday. So uh, if you are unaware, this is a time, or this is the beginning of what we call Holy Week, where we remember Jesus Christ's march to the cross. And on Palm Sunday, he entered the uh, city of Jerusalem with his disciples. They were going there to prepare to celebrate Passover with one another. And Jesus knew and had tried to tell his disciples, it didn't quite click for them, that he was also preparing not just to celebrate Passover, but to be crucified for the sin of all the world. And so on Palm Sunday, when he rode in on a donkey, there was just a crowd, an audience that was cheering for him, that was yelling, that was excited, waving palm branches, why we call Palm Sunday, laying their cloaks on the road, honoring and praising him. And yet, From that moment, it was only a few days later that that crowd that was cheering and praising his name with the same crowd was calling and screaming for his crucifixion. And so for us, this is an important day and it's really an important week. And I would encourage you to really maybe take some time. We have a really helpful reading plan that we have on our website that we link to right here via this code. Uh, that really just kind of walks you through day by day over the course of this week, uh, the events that transpired that led Jesus from that triumphal entry all the way to his crucifixion and then his glorious, miraculous resurrection on Easter Sunday, which is next week. And so I would encourage you, if you wanna kind of read through that with us, um, I was looking at this plan over the last week and it's really, really helpful. It just kind of helps everything kind of fit together. It helps us better understand uh, what Jesus did, what he taught, uh, how he interacted with his disciples and with the crowds in the lead up to that, that triumphant victory over sin and over death uh, through his crucifixion and culminating in his resurrection. But this morning, we are gonna be focused, uh, or and sorry, I should mention uh, that when he was crucified on Friday, right, it's the day that we remember as Good Friday. And so along those lines, this week, on Friday, here at Southwood, we have an experience put together, what we're calling our Good Friday time of prayer and reflection. And it's something that we did last year, if you were here in a part of that, uh, even if you weren't here last year, come on, it's gonna be great. Uh, it's really, it's an experience that's sort of a come and go sort of deal. We set up a primary space uh, in our fellowship wing where our college and youth meet on Sunday mornings. Uh, that space is gonna be set up with just kind of different like stations kind of around the room uh, with guided prayer and reflection points. You'll be given a book too when you show up and it just walks you through some things to pray through, uh, different aspects and areas of your life, responsibilities and relationships, uh, things to pray through, but then also questions to ask yourself and to consider uh, based upon the salvation we have in Christ, how does that affect all these different areas of our lives? And so that's something that we have set up from five to seven on Friday right here at Southwood. Again, it's kind of come and go whenever you're free. Uh, It's really, I think, significant time. And not only do we have the primary space, but what's new this year is we'll have sort of a secondary space set up in our foyer uh, specifically designed for young children. So if you have little kids, uh, we have a a space set up in the foyer on Friday uh, for families to walk through the same kind of process with their kids. It's a little bit more simplified, it's a lot more interactive, uh, and it's designed to be something that you can do with your kids either in addition to or instead of the primary room in the fellowship wing. So we would love to see you there. We would love uh, to just remember Christ's sacrifice together as a church body. All right, but this morning, we are focused, we're gonna be reading in John chapter 13. So if you wanna turn your Bible uh, or go there on your phone, John chapter 13, and we're gonna see, we're gonna study this moment that Jesus had with his disciples 
uh, on the Thursday evening of Holy Week, this Thursday evening time where they were setting aside, they were gathered in this upper room and they were observing Passover together. And as they were having this meal, uh, Jesus does something really significant that we'll talk about in a minute uh, that essentially puts forth for them this lesson, this object lesson of how we as followers of Christ should be committed to serving just as Jesus himself served. And what's amazing is at the end of this passage, Jesus makes a promise. He gives them hope. He tells them that when they serve in this way, when they live as he lived, it says that God provides blessing and satisfaction if we're willing to obey him and follow his commands in this area. And this is something that I've seen even in my life, that there is satisfaction that we gain through serving one another. My wife and I discovered this uh, in a really big way when we first started having kids, right? So our oldest, our daughter, was born uh, just over eight years ago. And I remember that when she was born, she came into the world. It's like, whoa, look at that. Wow. Uh, you know, we just kind of marveled at her for a bit. And then as, after you kind of marvel and look at your baby uh, and you take him home, then you're like, oh, I guess I got to like take care of you uh, apparently, based on those videos I watched at the hospital. And so uh, we immediately, right, started gearing all of our life like around this little tiny baby. Like we had to feed her and change her and clothe her. We had to rock her and swaddle her and, you know, feed, do, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff. And so as we're doing all these things, all these baby things for our baby, it was one of those moments, it was one of those experiences that I looked at, I was like, wow, we're we're really like, we're sacrificing time, energy, sleep, sometimes our sanity to take care of this little creature, well, baby. Um, creature sounds dark, all right? But uh, we were taking care of this child who was helpless apart from us. And, but it's so interesting because she wasn't the boss, right? Like if, if, uh, if a if government official came into our house and was like, who's in charge here? Like we would say, us, right? Even though all of our time, all of our energy was directed to serve and equip and prepare this little baby, like she wasn't in charge. That wouldn't hold up in court. Like, well, it's on her, right? Like that wouldn't work. It was on us. We were still the leaders. We were still the authority in our home. And yet we were using our authority to support and love and care for this little teeny tiny dependent. And through that service, we found Fulfillment and satisfaction. Not that every moment was wonderful, right? There's still moments where you're like, go to sleep. Why won't you? You know, but then if you told them that you were the authority, it didn't work. I'm the boss. Like, that didn't, that didn't work. But what we saw in that or what we experienced through that was deep fulfillment and satisfaction as parents as we cared for, loved, and provided for our child. Jesus is telling his disciples this exact same lesson. He's, he's communicating it to them, not just verbally, but even through his actions. He's gonna show them that we as followers of Jesus, that we are called to serve. But not, it's not a service that just, you know, where we give, 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 and then we're just spent and exhausted and just toast. But instead, he tells us, he promises that as we serve, the Lord uses that service to transform or sanctify our hearts and our minds. And as God is transforming us more into his image through our service, what happens is he gives us an incredible eternal satisfaction in this life and in the next based upon our obedience to follow his command in this way. So if you read with me in John chapter 13, we're starting in verse one, and we're setting the stage where we see that just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. 
And having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. Jesus knows that his time has come. John does a really wonderful job over the course of this gospel where he's kind of, he's building anticipation. He's building this tension over the course of the book. He makes repeated references. This is the eighth time that he's, re he's referring to how Jesus has this hour. He has this time that's coming. And there would be times where he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to crowds where he's like, my time's not come. The hour's not here yet. But right here, the audience is getting a little pumped. Uh, the readers are getting a little pumped because we see, okay, the time is now coming. And Jesus knows that it's time to depart from this world, to be back with the Father, is right here. And so he's deciding to finish strong. He's gonna love his followers to the very end. And so the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that he should betray Jesus. John is also really good at building tension in his repeated references. He makes more references than any of the other gospels about how Judas, one of Jesus' 12, was gonna be the one to betray Christ, that he was gonna be one to turn him over to the authorities to be unjustly tried and crucified. And so John points this out right here, even at the end. He's like, yeah, and remember Jesus, or Judas? Yeah, the dude's a stinker, all right? So, because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel, and tied it around himself. So don't miss this. What we see here is Jesus knows and understands his position. He understands his purpose. He knows that God the Father has given him all authority, all power, and based on what he knows, he acts, he moves, he gets up, he removes his outer clothes, he wraps this towel around himself, and then he poured water into the wash basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. So based on what Jesus knew about being in control of having all power, all authority, based upon that knowledge and that understanding, he serves, and he serves in a radical way. We know that at another point during this meal, during this time, his disciples were actually having an argument Luke tells us in Luke 22 that they were arguing with each other about who was the greatest, like who's really the top of the top, who's the best of the best when it comes to the disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's in the midst of that kind of mentality that Jesus stands up, takes off his cloak, wraps around a towel, and starts to wash their feet, which was a radical way to serve them. It was a radical way to serve them at that time. Because generally when it came to, to mealtime in, in that kind of ancient biblical world, Right, people's feet were really gross, right? They were walking around in sandals, it was dusty, it was dirty. And yet when you sat down for a meal, you didn't sit at a table like we have today, right? Where you, there's like a tabletop, you sit down in your chair, your feet are kind of down, like no one sees them, it's okay. Uh, instead, at that point, right, you would recline, generally on cushions, around a very low table. And so as you're reclining down there, like eating your food, uh, your feet are like right there. Like they're basically part of the meal, which is like, Ugh, you know, but that's what they did. And so it was very common that whenever you sat down for a meal or laid down for a meal, uh, you would not just wash your hands, but you would also wash your feet because it's like they're right there. And so generally people would do it themselves, right? That was the most common thing is that everyone just take some time, they'd wash up, they'd have their meal. Uh, if you're in a wealthy home, they would have a servant who would do that. Sometimes if you're at like a really uh, a special meal designed to honor someone, sometimes the host would wash the feet of the honored guest. Uh, but by and large, generally, this was something that people did for themselves. But Jesus knocked all of that apart, and he instead, he chose 
to serve his disciples in this radical way. And why did he do it? Well, because he knew his purpose. He understood his position. And in the same way for us, when we talk about serving, we need to recognize that our service should be motivated by our confidence in the Lord. When we humble ourselves before one another, it's not that we're thinking lowly of ourselves. It's that we're thinking highly of them because that's what God has told us. That's what we see repeated in scripture over and over and over again, to consider the needs of one another greater than our own. God's saying, I have chosen you to be my people. I've adopted you into my family, but that's not a reason to think of others as lower than yourself. Instead, I don't, I don't want you to think lowly of yourself, but I want you to think highly of others. And because if I am confident in my place, in the Lord's plan, in the Lord's purpose, that's what motivates my service. I saw this play out for myself a very real, very, in a very uh, mighty way. Uh, when I was in college, when I first stepped on to Grace Staff uh, 15 years ago, I came on as the junior high guy over at our Anderson campus. And I was still a student at the time. I was working part-time. I was a, a student at A&M. I was a junior. And so one of the roles that I was given as the junior high guy is we would have uh, these leader meetings every single week for all of our youth leaders. And we would uh, go into a room. There'd be 30, 40 leaders. And we would talk through the lesson that was going to be taught that week. We would also talk through some like general leadership principles. And so one of the first things I did as a staff member was I was given a little portion to teach the other leaders about leading, like how to lead youth kids. And I walked into that like pretty nervous. Like I had a lot of uncertainty, a little bit of an imposter syndrome of like, oh gosh, like are they gonna listen to me? Like are they gonna respect my authority? Like because I was like 20 and there were, there were leaders who were older than me. There were leaders in there who had been in youth ministry longer than I had been. And so I walked in really kind of a little uncertain, a little nervous, and honestly kind of scared that people wouldn't listen to me or they wouldn't respect uh, the, the thoughts or the points that I was trying to make. And so I went in, I started teaching the lesson, uh, and it was fine, probably, but uh, there were definitely gaps. Like, I, it was my first time to teach and instruct the gathered leaders, and so I'm sure there were pieces that I'd left out, uh, questions I left unanswered. And so to help uh, our youth pastor at the time, a guy named Zach Nigliazzo, who's now the campus pastor at our Anderson campus, he... Uh, very graciously, very helpfully kind of filled in some of those gaps. And he kind of, you know, added some side things. We're like, oh yeah, that's a really great point. Let me give an illustration uh, for that point that Jacob just made and just sort of help people better understand the lesson that was supposed to be presented. But during that time, I got super offended. And I felt like he was basically, you know, undermining me. And at the time, I was not good. I couldn't put on just like a happy, I couldn't just like smile and like nod along. Instead, I just wore my heart on my sleeve and I became visually, like visibly more and more upset as Zach would just step in and help me out in that time. To the point where after the meeting, I had some friends who were youth leaders, some other youth leaders came up to me and they're like, dude, are you okay? Like, what was happening? Like, was Zach saying something wrong or, or what was going on? And I was just like, I just, he just, he just doesn't respect me, you know? Like, he's just like out to get me. You know, Zach, he's such a mm, getter. And so I was upset. It was visible. It was clear. So clear that the next day, Zach pulled me aside, called me into his office, and he was like, dude, what's, like, what was going on last night? Like, you seemed upset. Uh, can you explain to me what, what was happening? 
And so I, I just kind of launched into it. And I was like, I, you know, I was trying to like say these things. This is my first time. Like they might not, they might not like recognize me as like an authority. They need to know that like I'm the staff person and they're not. Like they're a volunteer. I'm vocational. That's I'm like a super Christian. You know, like they need to know that I'm here as an authority, a leader of leaders here in the youth ministry. And Zach very graciously, very kindly, very compassionately heard me out. And then he responded. And I will never forget. I'll never forget how he responded to me in that moment. He looked at me, he said, Jacob, he says, your role, your responsibility in that time to teach and to train, he says, your job is not to prove your authority. Your, your job is not to justify your placement or your position. He says, your job is just to serve. It's to serve those leaders. It's to equip and prepare them to be the best leaders that they can be. And I have never forgotten that. That was a lesson that I needed to learn. And I've needed to learn you know, repeatedly over the years that this idea that I'm not here to prove myself, I'm not here to win fans or dominate opponents, but my role in ministry is to serve, to equip, to prepare, to train, to, to support other people in their ministry, in their gifting that God has called them to. And that's something that I carried through the rest of youth ministry, I carried in the college ministry. It's something that I hope to you know, continue to carry here at Southwood. To remember that I'm not here for me, I'm not here for my name, I'm not here for my glory, for my authority. I'm here to serve and equip and prepare to support other people. And so of course, if someone else steps alongside of me and, and provides some extra support, that's not an attack. <laughs> that's not competition. That's a beautiful gift because the goal is service. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. This was modeling for his disciples that their role, their, their, their calling, their purpose is service. He told this to them repeatedly over the course of his ministry. One of my favorite moments comes in John 4, earlier in this book where Jesus had this beautiful moment in John 4 with the Samaritan woman at a well where it's the middle of the day and he meets this woman and he has this great conversation with her where he essentially reveals himself as the Messiah, as the, as the, the savior of all people. And so they talk about worship and they talk about God's salvation and then he sends the woman out to her town to preach this good news that he had just shared with her. And after she left, his disciples kind of mosey on up, they come and find Jesus and they're really worried, right? Because it's, it's just past midday and so they're concerned that Jesus is probably hungry, right? They're like, we gotta keep him, gotta keep, you know, the energy level up. Like, get, let's get his blood sugar up good, in a good spot. And so his disciples were urging Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so they come to him. They're like, you know, his mom, when he gets home from spring break, they're like, you gotta eat. Like, just eat stuff. Like, they're pulling out Nutri-Grain bars and trail mix and all, you know, it's just figs or whatever. But they're like, you gotta eat something. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm good. I have food that you don't know about. And this is what I love. This is disciple. John records so many moments like this where his disciples are so confused. They, he tells them this, he's trying to make a lesson, he's making a point, they're just like, what? And suddenly they turn to each other and they're like, well, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Right? They're just checking around like, John, did you go grab lunch? Like, I needed a Coke. Like, what do you, you know, like they're, they're immediately very confused and they're asking you like, who snuck them some lunch? And so Jesus has to clarify, he's like, okay, listen, no, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, to complete his work. 
Jesus clarifies for them. He says, I'm not here to be sustained. I'm not here to, to be filled. What fills me is the work of filling others. I am sustained by my service of doing the will of the one who sent me to complete his work. Right? Jesus is making this point repeatedly through his ministry. It's culminating in this moment, washing the disciples' feet, that we are a people committed or called to commit ourselves to serving one another, to serving one another. And this is something that doesn't generally happen by accident. Many times what I found in my life is this requires a lot of intentionality, a lot of intentionality and accountability. I hop on a call every Friday morning and I talk with a few really close friends and one of the key questions that they ask me, that, I, that I've asked them to ask me on those Friday morning calls is how am I serving, how did I serve my family that week? How did I serve my wife? How did I serve my children? How did I put their needs above my own? And I need to get that question weekly because otherwise I'm not gonna naturally drift towards self-sacrifice. It's, it's rare for us to drift towards self-sacrifice. I need people to ask me, hey, how are you intentionally making a plan to serve and support the people around you? And so for us, maybe that's what we need today. We need to set up some accountability. We need to talk with a friend, say, hey, I, I want you to hold me to this, this high calling of serving and sacrificing for the needs of others. Or maybe we just individually stop, take five minutes, look at the week ahead and make a plan. Say, I'm, I really wanna serve these people in this way or I'm, I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna be meeting with so-and-so, I know I'm gonna be in this environment or on that team and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna serve them in this intentional way because that's what we're called to. We're called to be a people who pour out our lives for the sake of others, knowing that that's what our God has done for us, right? And this is how the Lord uses our service to sanctify us. Sanctifying, meaning uh, this is the process by which we die unto sin and we live unto righteousness. Sanctification is the process that God uses to transform our hearts and our minds to be more aligned with his heart, with his will, right? That's what sanctification is. And what we see here is Jesus is about to explain to the disciples, specifically to Peter, of how service moves us along that process. Read in verse six. Jesus comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand after these things. So Peter, he's a little slow to catch on. Jesus is going down the line, washing everyone's feet. He gets to Peter, Peter's like, oh wait, me too? you're gonna wash my feet? And Jesus is like, look, I know this is freaking you out. I know this is like not what you were expecting. He says, I know you don't fully understand this right now. He says, but you will understand in a time. I know you'll understand after some time. Peter doesn't take this as an explanation. He's still not clicking for him. He doesn't like the, the mystery and the, the uncertainty of it. And so he responds and says, nope, 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 nope. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus replies, if I don't wash you, you will have no share with me. So then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So Peter initially pushes back on Christ with really pride, right? Our, our inability to serve is generally because of a lack of humility. In the same way, our inability to receive service from someone else is also generally a sign of a lack of humility that our pride sometimes stops us from willing to accept the help or the support of other people. And so Jesus is telling Peter, look, you're gonna just let me wash your feet. You'll understand after a time. Peter's like, no, 
no, no, no. Literally in the Greek, he uses this double negative, which is like this super big, like essentially, you could translate that, never wash my feet. He's like, you will not wash my feet. No, no. Like that's what he says, literally. No, no. Like if your kid's sticking their head in the dryer, you're like, no, no. Like, no, don't do that. Jesus, or Peter is reprimanding Christ. And so Jesus just has to spell it out more clearly for him. He says, if, you, if I don't wash you, then you're gonna have no share with me. Right? And literally the term here in the Greek is this idea of continued participation. So Jesus is saying, he's not saying if you don't let me wash you, you don't belong, like you're, like I don't even know who you are. Okay, this is gonna be significant in a minute. Instead he's saying if you wanna continue in a, in a relationship, if you wanna continue in intimacy with me, you're gonna need to let this happen. So Peter then responds, right, now it's starting to click, and so then he like gets out the body wash and he's like, okay, hey, yeah, let's go, dude. Like hands, head, like let's go. And so then Jesus has to clarify, he says, well, the one who's bathed, the one who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew that the one who was going to betray him, and for this reason he said, not every one of you is clean. So here Jesus gives a little bit more clarity. He's saying that if you have been bathed, right, so the, the Greek term that's been used for washing is this like localized focused kind of wiping and washing. But here, Jesus uses that bathe term is completely different. And it's this idea of like a holistic cleansing. He says, most of you, right, all of you except for one, have been fully clean. This is one of the reasons that, you know, we have reason to suspect, to believe that Judas never even believed in Christ at all. That he never put faith in Jesus as the Messiah, right? This is one of those passages that points to that, that sad truth that part of the reason that Judas was open and, and manipulated by the devil to, to betray Christ is because he never, ever believed in the mission of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ, right? But Jesus is saying, look, the rest of you, you've received this holistic cleansing. And so you don't need that again. But what you do need is a little bit of maintenance. You need to wash your hands. You need to wash your feet. You don't need a bath. You need to wash your hands. You need to wash your feet, right? This is something that God even kind of telegraphed to the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament when he instituted the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. He told the Levites that when they became priests, uh, they had at their, at their initiation, at the, they, were, they were fully bathed. They had the ceremonial like bath thing that they went through that marked them as a priest, uh, set aside uh, this consecration before the Lord as a priest. Uh, but whenever the priests went about their regular duties, when it came time for them to perform a sacrifice or, or make an offering to the Lord, they didn't bathe again. That wasn't in the law. The law said you need to bathe at the front, at the front end, at your initiation. It says, but from then on, in order to serve the Lord, you need to wash your hands. You need to wash your feet. There were special basins that the priests would use to wash their hands, wash their feet before they went through these kind of special religious ceremonies. So God had telegraphed it from days gone by. Jesus is just reinforcing this idea that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive salvation. We are justified in the eyes of the Lord. This is our gospel, right? That even though we were dead in our trespass, even though we were dead in our sin, Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life that none of us could live, and he died the death that we deserved, and he rose again on the third day 
to prove his power and authority over sin and over death. And he says that if you call on me, you're free from condemnation, you're free from shame, you're free from the death that held you captive. And once we put our faith in Christ, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that nothing separates us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John that if we belong to him, we're in the hands of the Father and no one can snatch us away. If we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that is secure, that is done, that is a completed work. Jesus says on the cross, it's finished. But what he's reminding his disciples of here, what we need to take note of, is that there is a reason, there is a, a need for continual confession before the Lord. That there is time that we need to wash our hands because we're gonna become dirtied and, and, and sinful. We're gonna still make mistakes. So we don't need a bath, but we need to wash our hands. And this is what we're reminded of as we serve because our service is honoring to the ones that we serve, but it's humbling for the one who's actually serving. Right? It reminds us of our need for the grace of God. This is what Paul reminded the church in Ephesus of in Ephesians chapter two. It says that God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our offenses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not because of your work, it's not because of your accomplishments, it's not because you were awesome, it's because he loved you, right? Why did God love you? Because he loves you. And it's through his love that he's given you this opportunity, this gift of salvation to be made alive in Christ. It's by his grace that you are saved and it's by his grace that we continue to walk. We are saved by the grace of God and we live daily by the grace of God. And so we can come to him with, with, with confidence and with comfort, knowing that as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. It's what we just read in the book of James that we can come to the Lord with confession, where we can admit our fault, we can admit our failure, and we know that God is going to continually refresh us and grow us and, and build us and transform us, sanctify us through our confession. Our relationship with him is secured, but in order to continue in intimacy with him, we need to wash our hands, right? There is, it is possible for us to grieve the spirit of God. It is possible for us to to, to fracture the intimacy that we have with the Lord. So God says, I would spare you that. Jesus says, I want you to wash your hands, to wash your feet, because that's how you participate with me in life. That's how you have share with me in life. And so we need to have a regular commitment to confession. I remember studying the book of John uh, in college, and one of the things that I tried out that was helpful that I've done from time to time is, is for myself, just as a trigger to remind myself to, to confess my sin before the Lord, is uh, one of my triggers was when I wash my hands, I'm gonna wash my hands, right? Ooh, yeah. So literally, just on a daily basis, I mean, you wash your hands, hopefully a few times during the day, and when I would wash my hands, I would take that as a time to confess, and sometimes it was specific sin, sometimes it was general, but I would take that time to say, Lord, I, you know, I confess that I've, I've failed you today, I've, I've erred, I've, I've acted out of sin, or out of anger, or out of selfishness, or out of pride, and Lord, I need you to forgive me of that. And sometimes it would mean that I washed my hands for a long time, and my hands got very raw and soapy, but... It was all in the interest of protecting my intimacy with Christ. That's what God calls us to. He says, I want you to continually confess your sin, trusting that I love you regardless, but the intimacy that we have with one another is, is benefited by your willingness to confess your fault, to ask for that forgiveness, to be reminded that my grace is sufficient. 
So Jesus is showing this to his disciples. He's explaining it to his disciples that their service brings about transformation, but that it also then provides incredible satisfaction and joy. Read with me in verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, he took his place at the table again and he said to them, do you understand what I've just done for you? I love it. Because he knows that they're gonna miss the point. Because they're, they're human, they're fallible. Jesus is like, do you understand? Right? This, this is like blues clues. Like, do you, under, do you see the point? Like, is the point over here? Is it under the keyboard? Like, he's like, well, do you understand what I did? He doesn't even pause for a response. He just keeps going. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you do so correctly, for that is what I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. You should do just as I have done for you. He says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not abdicating my position of authority. He says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord. These, these, these words, these terms that he uses are terms of respect, of acknowledgement of your superior. He says, yes, that's true. I am still your superior as your teacher, as your Lord. He says, but I have, been, I have chosen to humble myself before you to wash your feet. He says, if I do that, if I do that, you should too. Follow in my example. Follow my model of service and of sacrifice. For I tell you the solemn truth. The slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent as a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. But if you understand these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Again, this is something we had repeated to us in the book of James over the course of the spring. That it's, it's more than just understanding. Jesus says, if you understand what I'm teaching you, that's great. That's awesome. But he says, but you'll be blessed if you do them. The blessing follows the behavior. So I want you to understand it, but I want you to live it. I want you to do this. And so for us, our service for others, our, our, our sacrifice, our humility, that, that is something that, that we carry with us. It's something that we trust that through that process, God will actually satisfy us. And I think this happens uh, most readily and most powerfully when we serve in light of our salvation. Okay, when we serve in light of our salvation. This is what we're gonna see in just a moment in some other scriptures. But I think this is what Jesus is, is about to teach. He's gonna teach his disciples more about this in the coming chapters in John. That, that we need to remember that as we serve and as we sacrifice, as we humble ourselves, we have a hope and a satisfaction that comes because we remember what Christ is, has accomplished on our behalf. We have a hope that there is a, a joy, that there's a joy set before us. We have a hope that there is a salvation that's secure. And so when we serve and when we sacrifice in this world, we know that God sees that service, right? He tells us repeatedly in scripture, he says, I see your service. I, I care about your works. Why Paul tells the church that you should work with excellence as unto the Lord. That's why Jesus told his disciples, when you give sacrificially, God sees that sacrifice. Even if you give in secret, God sees it. God recognizes that. God will bless your service. He will bless your sacrifice because God is aware of the entirety of your life. So even when someone else doesn't appreciate the way that you've served them, you can trust that your Father in heaven sees you, knows you, and is gonna bless and reward your service on his behalf as you serve other people, right? And it's because we know that Jesus has paid the ultimate price, that he served more greatly than we could ever hope to serve someone else. Right? It's in light of that future salvation, that, that future glory and splendor, that we can be excited and motivated to serve here and now. 
my wife and I got a dog uh, right after we got married. We like, weren't ready for kids, and so we were like, let's warm up with a puppy. And so we got this dog, and she still have her, apparently. Uh, she's 12 years old, and so she uh, is a wonderful little dog, just a little teeny tiny dog. And one of the things that she's done for 12 years is she understands what her leash means. Like if we, we have our leash hanging in our laundry room, if I, if I so much as like bump against that leash, if I so much as like adjust it to like get my kids' backpacks off the, same, off the hook next to it, our dog loses her mind. And she immediately just starts, like she, she gets her front paw, she just like just starts vibrating on the ground because she's so excited. Because she knows that if I'm pulling that leash off the wall, then we're going on a walk. And that means she gets to smell so many smells. And she gets to roll around in so much grass and see what other the world is like because, you know, she doesn't do that a lot. And so she doesn't get out much, you know. It's, it happens. And so happens when you're, what, 84? And so um, in dog years. So she, so she is so excited when she sees that leash get moved because she knows what's coming. Jesus tells us that we can have hope and satisfaction, that we can be pumped to serve and sacrifice. Why? because we know the glory that awaits. This is what Jesus himself modeled for us that the author of Hebrews highlights. He says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and we run with endurance this race set out for us. He says, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult. He says, but we do the work and we run with endurance. Why? Because we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And he made this model. He set this example for us. The author says that for the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured that suffering. He endured that sacrifice. Why? For the joy set before him. What is that joy? The author of Hebrews goes on. He explains that joy is us. That for the joy of bringing people to the Lord, Jesus endured that cross. He had this hope set out before him, this joy set out before him. And so he endured. He sacrificed and he served and gave of everything he had for our sake. It's the same lesson that Peter reiterates to the early church when he tells them that you've not seen Jesus Christ, but you love him. You don't see him now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says you rejoice because you remember what Christ has done. Even though he's not with you, even though he's not next to you, you remember what he has done on your behalf and you look forward to that goal of your faith, that perfect salvation of being united with the Lord of the universe in eternity, in splendor, in pure, perfect satisfaction. So you endure and you rejoice, but we have to commit ourselves to remember. This is one of the reasons that we celebrate and remember and commemorate communion. Consistently in the church, it is, it is clear from scripture that the church exists in part to remind each other about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and to remember not just what Jesus has done, but to anticipate what Jesus has yet to do. And so as you walk